It's page 4 of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, if you want to turn those up, and then Roland will come and preach for us. Thank you, Susanna. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get up until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks for your word this morning. We pray that it would enliven us, that we would be transformed by your word, for we ask in faith. Amen. This morning we'll be uh, keeping Matthew 5 open. Do keep it open. We are thinking about scripture, about our Bibles, about the Old Testament and about the New Testament and how they work together. How do you think of the Old Testament or the New Testament? Do you think of them as the time before Jesus or the time from when Jesus was born? Or the time of the Old Covenant versus the time of the New Covenant? Or maybe the stuff we find harder to understand is the stuff we find maybe a little bit easier to understand. Maybe I jest a little bit, but I think there can be this division between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Today our reading actually cautions against that uh, way of thinking. Jesus was speaking to his Jewish audience on the Sermon of the Mount. This is in the middle of this huge bit of teaching. Now, the Jewish people may have been hoping for a Messiah that was going to raise them uh, uh, away from Roman occupation, uh, complete the law, complete the fullness of the God whom they wanted to meet. And he would do that, but he definitely wouldn't do it in the way that many of them were wanting to see in their own lifetime. Now, the law, it talks about in our 
passage. It's not just talking about the rules, the law being the first five books of the Old Testament. They were fundamentally the the beginning of the journey of God with his people. That was them working out how to live with him. Yes, there were a set of rules, uh, a bit like a parent and a child. You know, how do you live in a safe and good way? But fundamentally, the law was proof that God was with his people, that God was for his people, and this was how to live well with him. And so Jesus, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And so Jesus describes himself as the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of those first five books, the fulfillment of God showing that he was for his people, that he was with his people. So Jesus describes himself as this, the fulfillment. And if you look in various different translations that you have at home, you may actually notice this word come in different forms. It's one of these awkward words to to translate, not because we can't translate it, but because none of the translation really give the fullness of what we want, and some of them give us some unhelpful um, ideas. But the word um, can be translated to fulfill, to complete, to possess, that's probably not one for here, to accomplish, and even to bring to an end. Now this can be sort of confusing because if you didn't like the law you know there have been Christians over the, the centuries who went oh you know we are we're Jesus people we're, we're New Testament people we'll try and move away from that which we see in the Old Testament they say oh you can say bring it to an end that sounds convenient Jesus said I have come to bring an end to the law but he just said in the verse before I have not come to abolish it it was sort of surprising that they ended up putting that word in. I've not, I've not come to abolish it, I've come to bring it to an end. It, it doesn't really make sense, but those translations were out there over the centuries. And so others have said, I have come to complete it. I have come to fulfill it. Um, we're going to talk about books a little bit later. When you read a book, you, you get to the end of it and you'll say you've completed it, Right? But what do you do when you complete something? You put it back on the shelf and you've done it. you finished it. So in, in a sense, I'm almost not really liking that either. Um, and what I'm liking is actually the one w- uh, word we heard, to fulfill. Um, it's, it's not as, as, as holistic, not as... Um, f- and it has the word full in it, so it should be very full, but it's, it's completing but not completing and putting it back on the shelf. It's not completing and saying this is done with. So Jesus has said that he has not come to abolish the law. He has not come to say we're done with that and we can put it up on the shelf. And he's not coming to say that he's being a replacement. This is in the midst, as I said, of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this great teaching And Jesus said, this is the lineage from which we are coming and this is the lineage from which we continue as well. 
So how do the Old and the New Testament relate them? I think of one being the indicator of the other. The Old indicates that which is to come in the New. Or another way that one makes sense of what has gone before. Jesus in the New Testament makes sense of all of that which we have seen in the Old Testament. But fundamentally, the God whom we see in glimpses in the New Testament is the God whom we meet in uh, Jesus in the New Testament. Is anyone here a fan of murder mysteries? Murder mystery books, not murder mystery parties, I should say. (laughs) They're a little bit different. You get to dress up. I don't know if anyone's ever dressed up to read a murder mystery book. That would be quite fun. Um, uh, Some of you may know, before here, I did my curacy equivalent of Simon in a place called Marlow in Buckinghamshire. Um, They didn't turn my curacy into a murder mystery, but they did turn my town into a murder mystery while I was there. So the Marlow Murder Club was written by a guy who did the BBC series Death in Paradise. Um, And so for a year, he was wandering around the town interviewing people, including my boss, uh, my boss's wife. He decided to... uh, Yeah, he he did a bit of a stereotype of a Church of England vicar, as he might have done, and a horrific stereotype of a vicar's wife, um, who becomes one of the major characters in it. Um, But it's quite fun, though, if you read a book and you know all the streets and you know all the places... Uh, It adds a whole new dimension. So that was quite a fun uh, leaving gift um, as I left Marlowe to read the murder mystery that happened there. But if you um, know murder mysteries, if you know your Agatha Christie, you'll know the sort of format. The format never changes. You start your book, you you have your big reveal of a murder, you introduce some of the, the characters, and then you have the majority of the book, which are... Um, bits of information, bits of characters, little bits here and there, and you don't know how anything fits together. And you're getting to the end and going, is it that and that and that, or that and that and that? And you have about five different um, theories, and invariably none of them are right. I don't know how they... that, That is the art of a murder mystery book. But suddenly you get to that last chapter and you go... I get it now. And you think, yes, that that was there all along. Um, And so why am I saying this? The, The Bible is not a murder mystery. But the New Testament is like that moment in a murder mystery when you have all the facts. You have more than the glimpses and the bits of information. And then you kind of go, I see it. It It was always there. If I add that and that and that and that, It all makes sense. So, in a weird way, it's a bit of a tangent, but Jesus saying, I have come to fulfill and complete the law, is a bit like coming to the end of a murder mystery and going, that is why God did that. That is where God was with his people there. That is how he journeyed with them. And this is God now in his fullness. So, That is what I feel is what that means and how we sort of add our New and our Old Testaments together. It is the fulfillment, the completion, the the thing that we have definitely seen in glimpses through the Old Testament. 
So this is the, that God is with us in the person of Jesus. And though the, the people around Jesus at times were being sidetracked, they weren't sort of getting that this was the fullness of God amongst them. They would eventually get it. And this is why we see Jesus being the fulfillment of the law. This is why he's not the throwing away of the law. So, God has given them the law, and we'll go on to an example of that. And it was for them to live well. In the second half of our passage this morning, it talks about murder and living well. But talking about, you know, why did God give them these sets of rules? Surely, you know, obvious, I'm not going to murder someone. Well, obviously that wasn't the case in in the book. Um, I only just got that that was ironic. Uh, um, But Jesus says, you know, if we take the law to its fulfillment, it's far greater than... A simple set of rules. Now, the law was not there to just sort of fence them in to stop them doing silly things. It was actually meant for them to go, you know what, I need God. And I need to lean into him. I need his provision in my life. And so when Jesus comes as the fulfillment of that, He is the fulfillment of that truth of realization of how much they need to lean into him for their provision, um, for the goodness in their lives, to absolve them from the sin that will always pull them down. So our passage talks about, you know, that command of do not murder, but he takes it to its fullest conclusion any form of anger, any form of unresolved tension, that idea that you would go to the temple to be absolved from your sins and it's saying, no, be resolved from that point and then come to the temple. But ultimately, it is showing that need for God at its fullest point, that fulfillment of their need for God, that completion of their need for God. And it's not showing them that they need to be more pedantic. That's really important. It's not because the Pharisees were being pedantic and Jesus was very clear that being pedantic was not the answer. But it was showing their need to lean into God more and more. In the Old Testament, that law, whether it was rules or glimpses of them seeing how God was in their life, was to show how much they needed God for the sacrifices that were needed to make peace with him again. And that was a prefiguring of the ultimate sacrifice that was to come in Jesus. And we'll uh, remember it uh, when we come to communion later. And Jesus says there's no limit to the amount that we're going to have to lean into God for um, needing him. Because ultimately he would sacrifice himself for us, give everything for us, for all of our transgressions, no matter how small. They are all equal to God. 
I actually preached on this passage and another one on Wednesday. It was kind of strange how they um, came together. Um, But there was an image in that that I thought was useful and I didn't think there was too much of an overlap on our Wednesday communion crowd. Uh, And those who are here probably will forgive me for uh, giving it. Um, If you want to read more, it's from 2 Corinthians 3, but it was how the the Old Testament and the New Testament um, balance and uh, live together. As a preacher, we'll often use images to help people understand things. Uh, And the wrong image to use here would be a fork in the road. You're, You're trundling along the road and you've got two paths. You've got a left path and you've got a right path. And this is very much not the path, the the image that would be used, and the sort of image that would be the red herring. It would be the image that would send you down the wrong path. So instead, uh, there was an image that I called the seesaw of glory. Uh, I like a good seesaw. Um, And essentially, they are the two testaments, the old law uh, and the new, the old covenant and the new covenant. And in it, Paul talks about uh, how the, the covenant, it came to Moses. It came in glory, but ultimately that it would bring death. He didn't say that it came in death. You know, it was the glorious moment of God's provision in the Old Testament, but ultimately it would show up their need for God. That was one side of the seesaw. What happens when only one person sitting on the seesaw? It sort of goes down and it's, it's not much use. It's, it's, it's hard work. You sort of have to pretend, don't you? Uh, but he said, but in the coming of Jesus, we have the ministry of the Spirit. And this being the other side of the seesaw. And it's interesting with two sides of a seesaw. Um, any parents out there who've had their young children on a seesaw, you sort of have to pretend, don't you, that you weigh roughly the same. Because if you don't, they'll go well in the air. Um, And I think sometimes we see the New Testament as sort of flinging the Old Testament well off the seat and it's, you know, out the window and, and gone forever. But Paul actually says that I think you essentially have both of them that one holds the other intention, that Jesus coming and bringing fulfillment of the law brings balance. It doesn't actually do away with our need for God. It doesn't do away with those glimpses that we see of God and God's desire to have a holy people and to have a people who follow him and have a right way. Jesus comes as the fulfillment. And so those are the two sides, as I saw it, of this seesaw, as I called it, the seesaw of glory. Um, And I hope that will help us to understand how we relate our Old and our New Testament. It's not that we have one side or the other, or one side buckaroos the other completely off. But Jesus comes and on the cross takes the weight and levels out that um, what Paul calls the ministry of death, that ultimately we will all die, that we all need God for our life. 
But as he balances it out, it is still there. And it's not that he does it away. That's my main point there. The, the whole point of it being a seesaw and not a left and a right is both sides of the seesaw are still there. They're both still weighty. They are both still huge things that God has done for us. So let's come into land. We're in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount. This is the high point of Jesus' teaching to his people. And he's saying that this hasn't come out of nowhere, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those glimpses that they have seen so far. Everything that has come before is not irrelevant. It is that foretaste of that which we will see as completion in Jesus. In many ways, we have confidence in the person of Jesus because we've had those glimpses of who God is in the Old Testament. This is the God whom we met with the patriarchs, with those first few people who walked with God. Jesus' teaching is not brand new, but it may be the completion, the fulfillment, the, the most full version of that teaching. And so in our faith, we, we graft into that heritage of faith. We are drawn in to a God who has drawn close to us. That's ultimately what he wants from us. He wants us to draw close to him, realize our need for him. The, Jesus, uh, the critics of Jesus wanted to show that he was a renegade. But he shows us, actually, that he was close to the Father and that he wants us to draw close to him too. Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you for this teaching that you give us on the Sermon on the Mount that you want us to draw close to you, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we see across the Old Testament. Help us in moments that feel difficult to understand when we struggle to see glimpses of you. And help us to, to know that full life that comes from knowing you. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen.